0: From the Hutterberg Catechism, we read together Lord's Day 1. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He is fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood, and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my Heavenly Father not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. What do you need to know in order to live and die in the joy of this comfort. First, how great my sins and misery are. Second, how I am delivered from all my sins and misery. And third, how I'm to be thankful to God for such deliverance. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, are you sad, discouraged, or grieving? Do you find it difficult to cope with the problems facing you in life? Do struggles in family life upset you? Does the brokenness of this life get to you? Is there a basic unhappiness that runs through your life? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you need comfort. The comfort That only God can supply. The comfort that he grants us in Christ Jesus, our Savior. Throughout the ages, God's people have required comfort. The basic reason for this is that mankind has fallen into sin. Our sin has had many devastating consequences. Through the fall into sin, our close communion with God was broken we separated ourselves from his love and care. And mankind has become utterly corrupt. Our minds were darkened, our hearts became self-focused, our will was inclined to do evil. God's beautiful creation was also corrupted, so there now groans in the, pain, in the pains of childbirth due to sin and all its consequences, that we need the comfort of God's grace in Christ. Lord's Day 1 serves as an introduction to the Catechism, and the Catechism itself serves as a summary of the teaching of God's Word. Because of this, we can say that Lord's Day 1 sums up the message of the Gospel. It does so by speaking to us about our only comfort in life and death. One of the main purposes of the gospel is to give comfort. Paul teaches this in 2 Corinthians 1. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. The God of all comfort provides comfort for us through Jesus Christ. I proclaim to you the good news of salvation under the following theme. Our comfort is that we belong to Jesus Christ, both in life and in death. We're comforted by Christ's redeeming work, Christ's preserving care, and Christ's renewing power. Beloved, we all face struggles and difficulties in life, situations that require comfort, Yet for us to be comforted, we need to correctly identify what our problem really is. If I asked you, what's the biggest problem facing you today, I'm sure I'd get a wide variety of answers. For some, the issue is that of sickness, either of themselves or of a loved one. For others, it's the fact that they struggle with anxiety or depression and the effect that that has on their personal life, and on family life. Some are faced with loved ones straying from the ways of the Lord. Others are in financial difficulties. Some would see their number one problem as being their inability to receive children, or being in a difficult marriage, or in a dispute with a fellow brother or sister, or some ongoing struggles in church life. The result of such situations is that we often focus our attention on the problem. Life so easily becomes centered on that problem. We seek solutions for the problem. And we easily become angry or bitter or discontent when the problem doesn't go away. Now, beloved, I do not want to minimize the depths of the struggles that can face us in our lives. They're real, and they can have a profound effect upon us. A debilitating illness can really get to us. Its effects are there day after day. The pain is real. Illness often limits us in what we can do, and that causes real struggles. Most of us have little idea of the shame that accompanies mental illness. If we're struggling with anxiety or depression, we often try to hide this because we don't want others to know. Our mental health difficulties make us feel inadequate, they can cause feelings of intense worthlessness. Financial difficulties can bring on great stress. They fill the breadwinner of the family with feelings of despair because he's not providing as he thinks he should. They cause envy and jealousy because we don't have what our neighbor has. Parents of straying youth often blame themselves for the unfaithfulness of their children. They ask all kinds of what-if questions. They experience guilt and sorrow and fear. Within them, there is this intense desire for the salvation of their straying son or daughter. Beloved, can you imagine the struggles of those who would love to receive a child but do not? Of seeing friends and loved ones blessed with children and desiring the same but not receiving? Of the monthly disappointment and all the why questions that come with it? And then we come to broken relationships. To a spouse who thinks that he or she has married the wrong person. To couples who desire oneness together, but experience married life as a continual battle. To those who are disillusioned with life because of broken trust, be it with a family member, another person, or even their church council. We face much misery in this broken life. To receive comfort, we need to correctly identify the source of this misery. And I want to tell you clearly, beloved, that your problem is not any of the things that we've been speaking about. Your problem is not sickness or childlessness or brokenness in in interpersonal relationships. They're all consequences of the real problem. The results of the fall into sin, the consequences of it. Beloved, you're not going to find a solution to the difficulties facing you by focusing on your problems. Often we're inclined to do that. But where does that lead us? Often to hopelessness, disillusionment, frustration, and despair. By dwelling on the struggles and difficulties that face us, we end up drowning in our misery. So what is the solution? Where do we find answers to life's problems? Is there truly comfort to be found in this often dark world? Yes, beloved, there is. But to receive comfort, we need to focus on God, not life's problems. It is by knowing God and His Son, Jesus Christ, that we may find peace, hope, and joy. Even though our outward circumstances may not change, we can find comfort in our Savior, Jesus Christ. To find this comfort, we need to recognize our sins and misery. We've spoken extensively about the misery that's resulted from the fall into sin. Yet the question remains whether we recognize our sins. So often our tendency is to blame others for the problems that we face. Or else we might even find fault with God. Here is where we need to engage in some serious self-examination. Do you really think that God is unfair in the way in which he deals with you? Is it someone else's fault that you struggle financially? Have you considered how you have used your time and resources? Is it just the other's fault that there are difficulties in your marriage? Or that you're involved in some ongoing dispute? Have you not done things wrong? Are you humble in your approach to the other person? Or do your pride and your stubbornness stand in the way of reconciliation? Beloved, is not the root of the struggles we face in life, our sins? 1 John 1 verse 8 states, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Paul makes it clear in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. It is true that not every struggle we face in life is a direct consequence of one of our own sins. Together with the rest of humanity, we live in a sinful and broken world. We reap all the consequences of our fallen state. If we truly want to find comfort in life, we need to know our sins and misery. And, beloved, it's not enough to just admit we're not perfect. We need to know how great our sins and misery are. Without this, we will not see how much we offend God with our evil works. If we desire comfort, we first need to humble ourselves. We need to confess our wrongdoing, even our wrong thinking, before God. It's only in humble confession of our sins that we can find God's grace. It's only by seeking forgiveness in the blood of Christ that we find comfort. Jesus Christ is the source of all comfort. And we can find great comfort in his redeeming work. Paul writes about this in his letter to Titus. In Titus 2.11 he says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all. All people. In this verse, Paul uses a particular word to speak of how God's grace appeared to all men. The word epiphany is used. Paul uses this word to explain how God shines forth his light upon us. Paul's point is that the grace of God has shone forth on us in the visible appearance of Christ on earth. Christ Jesus, our Lord, is the great light that shone forth into this dark world. Paul explains why this is so. It is because Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Here, indeed, we see the goodness and the loving-kindness of God our Savior. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. And so we receive comfort. For Christ came into this world with a very specific purpose, He came to offer his body and blood as a sacrifice for our sins. Jesus is the good shepherd who gave his life for his sheep. He came to free us from sin and death. Our comfort is that we may belong to our Savior, Jesus Christ. We belong to Christ because he bought us. He has ransomed us not with silver and gold. Instead, he paid the price of our sins with his precious blood. Christ has delivered us from the dominion of the evil one. Paul explains in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, that we were bought at a price. We're not our own. We belong to master Jesus Christ. Yet even though Christ has bought us at a very great cost, he doesn't treat us. As slaves. Instead, he has restored us to the wonderful position of being the adopted children of our Heavenly Father. Beloved, what great comfort this is. Also in the midst of all our problems and difficulties, we have a Father who loved us so much. He gave his only Son to die for us. We have a Savior who voluntarily sacrificed himself as a sin offering on the cross. We may depend on this God of mercy and grace for all we need. When we focus our eyes on Christ our Savior, all our struggles don't magically disappear, but they are put into perspective. We receive comfort from the redeeming work of Christ our savior it's in him and through him that our sorrows are turned to joy that though disappointed we again learn to hope that we find peace with god brings us to our second point and it will see that we're comforted by christ's preserving care beloved has god ever promised us that our lives as Christians will be easy and hassle-free? Don't the scriptures teach us the opposite? Why are you surprised by the struggles that you face in daily life? Have you ever considered that the precise reason why you're facing problems in life is to bring you closer to God? In 1 Peter 4, verse 12, Peter writes... Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Instead, he exhorts us to rejoice insofar as we share in the sufferings of Christ. In Romans 5, 3 to 5, Paul writes that we are to rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In James 1, 2-4, James writes, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. James makes it clear that God brings trials into our lives to develop us help us become mature in our faith. It's easy to speak about the positive effects of going through trials, but it's much harder to live through them. Yet in the midst of pain, sickness, sorrow, hardship, disappointment, or despair, we may draw comfort from Christ's preserving care We're not alone in the struggles that face us in life. Never forget the Emmanuel promise. God is with us. As the Catechism says, Christ preserves me in such a way that without the will of my Heavenly Father not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. God's care over us is absolute. Our Savior Jesus Christ made this clear in the Sermon on the Mount. He addressed the people's fears and anxieties. Our Lord pointed to the birds of the air and to the flowers of the field. He made it clear how our Heavenly Father provides food for the birds, even though they do not store up provisions for winter. He makes it clear how God dresses the flowers with great splendor, even though their lifespan is quite short. Jesus teaches we don't need to be anxious about our material needs, for our Heavenly Father has promised to provide us with all what we need. And not only that, but God will also provide for all our spiritual needs. God is faithful to his children. He promises eternal life to all those who believe in him. Not only that, but He also provides us with the means to believe. God grants us His Spirit, who works faith in our hearts through the gospel, who strengthens that faith through the use of the sacraments. You know what's so absolutely comforting? It's the fact that God will not allow those who have faith in Christ to fall from His grace. Christ, preserving care over us, is clearly taught in the Scriptures. John 6, 39 and 40, Jesus said, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. In John 10, 27 to 29, Jesus confirms this. He says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. It doesn't mean that God's children never go through hard times. As God's children, we may be confronted with great struggles and trials in our lives. We may face severe temptations. We can even fall into grievous sins. Just think about how Peter denied his Lord. Or how David committed adultery with Bathsheba and murdered her husband to try to cover up his sin. Yet God is faithful to his children... Christ loves his sheep with a deep and abiding love. He will not let go of those who belong to him. When we fall and stray, he'll bring us to repentance and to life. As Paul confesses in the last verses in Romans 8, that no one and nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In fact, beloved, the Bible's testimony is that all things must work together for our salvation. In Romans eight twenty eight, Paul says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Do you believe that, beloved? That your illness your financial hardship, your childlessness, your struggles in a relationship, whatever the problem is that faces you, will work for your good? Often it sure doesn't seem like it. Yet God is at work in us, molding us and shaping us, also through the trials and the struggles of life. Our comfort is that even through the most difficult days of our lives, Christ will preserve us. His care over us is such that not even a hair can fall from our head without his will. This brings us to our final point in we're comforted by Christ's renewing power. Beloved, Christ will not only preserve us to the final day, He promises that he will help us on our way to our eternal home. He has granted us the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts. It's by the Holy Spirit that we may share in all Christ's treasures and gifts. He also renews us more and more so that we're transformed into the image of Christ our Savior. Paul speaks about this in Titus 3. He notes that God saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You see, beloved, it's not just the guilt of our sins that needs to be washed away by the blood of Christ. Also the stain, the pollution of our sinful nature, needs to be cleansed. Christ washes us. He makes us pure and holy through the renewing work of the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit who transforms us. He puts to death the old nature in us. He breathes new life in our new nature. The Spirit enlightens our darkened minds. He opens closed hearts He makes that which was stubborn, obedient. He makes our will spiritually alive. So it becomes a love and delight for us to live according to the will of God. We're speaking here about a complete transformation of character. Indeed, God is at work in us, both to will and to act according to his good purpose. What we need to realize is that God often uses trials and hardships to mold and shape us. Suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. It's the testing of our faith that develops steadfastness. In John 15, 1, Christ said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Christ went on to point out that God prunes every branch that bears fruit, so it may bear more fruit. We need to understand that in the problems facing us in life, God isn't trying to take things away from us. His goal is to bring us closer to the perfect and complete image of Christ. And so we may also derive great comfort from Christ's renewing power. By his Holy Spirit, Christ makes us heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. He enables us to live joyous and thankful lives in response to the grace that he has given us. Our joy does not come from the fact that all is going well for us in life. It comes from being secure, In the love of our Savior, our comfort does not consist of earthly things. It comes from knowing we belong to our Savior, Jesus Christ. through the Holy Spirit that Paul could confess. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. Through that same spirit, we may know and be assured of Christ's redeeming work, of his preserving care, of his renewing power. And so we are comforted. If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things Lord's Day one provides us with a summary of the whole catechism, provides us with a summary of the gospel message. It teaches us that in Jesus Christ, God has granted us the only comfort there is in life and death. Are you struggling with problems in your life? Are you confronted with sin or the consequences of sin is the brokenness of this life getting you down look to your savior Jesus Christ remember what he has done for you on the cross consider what he's doing for you now from the throne at God's right hand through God's grace you belong To him, live in the joy that comes from knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior. Amen. We'll respond to the gospel message by rising and singing of our only comfort in life and death. We'll do so with the words of hymn 64.